Well, good morning, everyone. As you uh, may know, we uh, have been in this sermon series where we've been reflecting on various aspects of God's character. We've been exploring the nature of God. And this morning, I want to focus our attention in on the greatness of God. Now, God is already great, but in order for us to see him for who he truly is, we need to regularly stretch our vision of God's greatness and not fall for the temptation of settling for something that is much, much less, maybe something that we've grown accustomed to. I'll tell you a story of uh, something that happened to me a couple years ago. For the very first time, I started to experience a little bit of lower back pain. Now, to my knowledge, I hadn't injured my back. It really wasn't a big deal at all. I'm just getting older, you know? And uh, so it, I would get up in the morning, my back would be kind of stiff. I'd have a little bit of pain, but it would pretty much go away as I got moving in the day. So it wasn't that big a deal. Later that year, I had just a regular checkup with my doctor, and I mentioned it. And the doctor said, wow, you need to be stretching out those muscles on a regular basis. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always thought of stretching as being pretty much a waste of time, you know? I mean, I played a bunch of different sports in high school. The coaches always have you stretch and do some warm-ups before you get into your workout. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is a waste of time. We should just get on and we can, we can shorten the practice. To my knowledge, I never got injured because I didn't do a particular stretch, you know? But here's the thing. I'm not in my teens. I'm not in my 20s any longer. So, you know, for once I thought I should probably listen to the doctor. And guess what? The doctor was right. I mean, it actually helped my back. Now, here's the thing. Our muscles are such that they need to be regularly challenged, and not just by contraction, also by extension. And if you don't stretch your muscles for long enough, it will catch up with you in the form of having you know, a restricted range of motion. You're going to be something less than your optimal self. Now, I think we can do the same sort of thing when it comes to our appreciation of who God is. Our perception of God can get kind of stale and familiar. Maybe we just get sort of stuck at a place, or it might even start to atrophy. So if we don't regularly stretch ourselves in terms of knowing God, we're not going to be living kind of at the growing edge of our faith. And I, I hope that's a place where each of you would want to be. So this morning, I just want to emphasize the importance of stretching ourselves in terms of knowing and experiencing the greatness of God. One of the big themes of the Old Testament is that God wants his best for his people. And he knows that we can only experience that in the context of a relationship with him. And this is why God says to his people, you shall have no other gods before me. False gods are traps. 
You know, they're, they're inferior representations of God. Uh, they, they, they don't match up to God's true character. They are powerless to help us. Now, I doubt very much that any of you have a household shrine in which you have a physical idol. That doesn't seem to be a very big temptation for those of us that live in the West. I was preaching in Asia. We, this, the sermon would turn a little differently here. But it's not a temptation for us. But I do believe that we are still guilty, like the Israelites, of often following what would be false gods in our lives, or at the very least, settling for a version of God that is far, far less than who he truly is. So how do people do this? How, how do we arrive at this place? Well, I, I want to see if I can explain it by using a, a little allegory here. So you're going to just have to kind of use your imagination. And the first thing I want you to do is to imagine that there is a brilliant light behind this screen. And, uh, it, you know, right now what you see is a simple spotlight. Uh, that's the best that we could do here. But this is not really what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a light that looks more like this, all right? A light that is so powerful, so brilliant, that it would consume the light of our own sun. And we're going to call this light the great light. Now, this light is so powerful that it actually sustains everything with life. But it's so powerful that you and I could not look into the fullness of a light like this because it would blind us. We would be consumed in its presence. Now, even though the great light has created a means where we can experience its benefits without being consumed, humanity has chosen to reject that way. And so we live in a state of darkness. And there seem to be two responses to our plight. The first one is this. The human beings who have chosen to reject the great light, what they do is essentially create their own lights. And that's what these symbolize. These candles represent a whole pantheon of false conceptions of the great light. And you can tell they're much smaller than the great light. Their light is much dimmer than the great light. They're not life-giving. Really, about the, about the kindest thing that we can say about them is, well, they're more manageable than the great light, right? Because we create them ourselves for ourselves. And, and they have names. So, for example, this, this first light is called the force. <laughs> there it is. People say it is the cosmic energy for good. But you know what? It's just a false version of the great light. And this, uh, this next light also has a name. This one is called philosophy. 
People say it represents the sum of all ultimate values and wisdom. I'm not even sure what that means. I mean, if you think about that, it's, it's a pure abstraction. It's not going to help you in your daily life. It, too, is a false version of the great light. And this, uh, this last light that I've got up here is interesting because it doesn't have just one name. In fact, you can put your own name on this light because, in truth, all it is is a projection of self. It's a supersized version of your best self. So in this case, you are the mini-me, and it's the maxi-me, right? And it, too, is a false version of the great light. Now, we could go on and name more, but the point I want to make is this. This is what humanity does in the absence of or rejecting the truth about the great light. We will attempt to create our own version of God. Humanity is constantly trying to build a bigger and better God, one that is suitable for their preferences at the moment and will meet their needs at that moment in time. They're trying to come up with the finite, excuse me, the infinite, out of finite minds, and it just don't work. Now, the other response to this plight is this. There are some persons who hear about the great light and they believe it's true. And we call these people Christians. So, so let's be clear about this. Christians are not operating in this space. Christians are not trying to create one more version of a little light that just happens to be superior to these because we know that there is a pre-existent light which is far superior to these. It's a light to which these lights can't possibly hold a candle. Just, can you see that one coming there? <laughs> but Christians make a couple of mistakes. And that is, the first one is that we often settle for something that is much less than the fullness of the great light. It's like we take a tiny pin and we go over, you know, and we poke a little hole and then we look through that limited glimpse of the great light and then we assume that represents the fullness of the great light. Now, what we see may be true. It will be true if we're looking in the right direction, but it can actually be a distortion of truth because it's not enough. Heresy begins by taking one element of truth to the exclusion of some other very important elements of truth. So that's not enough. And here's the other thing that we tend to do. We tend to believe that the great light is only intended to shine on a little part of my life. Think about it, not much light can get through one of our little pinholes. Just, just the tiniest ray of light. And we say, oh, well, well, that little spot of light, see, that's meant to help me with the religious part of my life. 
So I need the great light when I go to church on Sunday mornings or when I hang out with my Christian friends or when I'm having some kind of a crisis with my religious faith. And we don't realize that the great light is intended to illuminate and bless every part of our life, not just this part that we refer to the sacred part, but all of it. The great light has so much light that it can fill every corner of everything that exists. That, the problem is not with the sufficiency of the great light. It comes with our understanding of it. So what we really need are two things. First of all, we need to make sure that we orient ourselves in the direction of the truth of the great light and not settle for these false versions. And then secondly, somehow we have to increase the aperture by which we experience the great light. Instead of settling and being content and only looking through one of our little pinholes, somehow we got to go over and, and really open this up to take a, in a, a grander view. Didn't see that one coming in rehearsal. A grander view of the great light. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> David was my munchkin that helped with this, so we can learn. Look, I'll share something else I know that some of you can relate to because you've experienced this firsthand. It's kind of like the first time you visit the Grand Canyon. You know, on your way there, you see some pretty scenery, but nothing can prepare you for the moment when you first step to the edge of the canyon and you have your first unobstructed view. It's spectacular. Spectacular. There's no description, there's no picture that you might have been shown that can compare with the greatness of the real thing. We need this kind of glimpse of the greatness of our God. So how do you begin to expand your vision of God's greatness? Well, I think that one of the first things that we can do that's so important is to regularly meditate on the, the works and the character of our God. Meditate's kind of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Intentionally, regularly think about our God. And the scripture encourages us to do this very thing. Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12. Look what the psalmist says here. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. So you see here, it's encouraging us to focus on the, the actions of God, what he has done in history. Maybe things that we know from the Bible or things that we've experienced in our own lives. And then Psalm 119 verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So this is slightly different. This is encouraging us to, to focus on the person of God, his character, his ways, the things that he has communicated to us, his, his precepts. And I believe that the Old Testament in particular can help us expand our vision of God's greatness because in the pages of the Old Testament, 
This is where we see God's transcendence and his power and his authority and his majesty and his splendor. There are so many places that we can, in the Old Testament, see the greatness of God described. All you have to do is pay attention. I want to share just two passages with you this morning as examples. The book of Job regularly speaks about God's greatness. Oftentimes it uses kind of poetic language. In chapter 26, Job is reflecting on the greatness of God. Look at how he describes us, starting with verse 7. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake aghast at his rebuke probably talking about rolling thunder. And then skipping ahead to verse 14. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. What Job is saying is that what we can see with our eyes within creation is just like the, the edge of his works. Job knew the universe goes on and on and on. There is so much that we can't see that is magnificent. And yet, if you take all of that and sum it up, it is in comparison only a faint whisper compared to the greatness of the Creator. Never mistake the two. The Creator is so much greater than the creation itself. Another place that we can see the greatness of God. And the Old Testament would be Isaiah chapter 40. This chapter is exploring the, the incomparable quality of the greatness of God. And I, I want to read some selected verses. But I want to start out with verse 25 because I think this verse kind of frames much of what precedes it in this chapter. It says, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Now going back to verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? or instruct the Lord as his counselor. Verse 15, Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Verse 22, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Verse 26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now we need to realize that even lofty descriptions such as these can't capture 
the fullness of God's greatness because they're constrained by human understanding and, and human language. None of us can fathom the infinite scope of God's greatness, but we can do better. We, we can push ourselves to reflect on and consider even more of the greatness of God. But even in doing this, I think we all recognize that if we are to push ourselves further and further and further, eventually you reach the place that I call cognitive brain freeze. Has this happened to you before? Have you ever thought about God or been thinking about eternity? And then you have this moment where it's like, oh, it's kind of like a, like a circuit breaker goes off in the brain. Listen, even the great theologian Augustine, when speaking about God, he spoke about the folly of trying to grasp what he called an ocean of infinity with his finite mind. Now, my grandson, David, isn't a theologian yet. He's only four and a half. And he's totally into superheroes. And one of his favorite superheroes is the Incredible Hulk. Okay, he loves this guy. When he was little, he never wanted to wear around a shirt, wanted to have a little pair of shorts on, and he was just going around flexing and smashing things and doing this guy. He loves Hulk, you know. So when I'm playing with David, I love to just mess with him and, and try to stretch his imagination. So I'll say, David, who's stronger, Hulk or Spider-Man? Now, he likes both these guys, but I can tell you he's going to say Hulk. He's going to look at me and say, Papa, have you not seen his muscles? Hulk would crush Spider-Man. And I'll say, okay, what about Hulk and King Kong? Okay, that's a little tougher. Now, he's seen videos of King Kong. Like, the, like there's one where he's doing battle with this creature called Skull Crusher. And uh, it's pretty awesome. But David is going to say, on a good day, like Hulk could take King Kong. Not as big, but smart. And he could tell me the strategies Hulk would use. So I'll say, okay, what about Hulk and Godzilla? And now, man, you could just see the wheels turning. And he's trying to think this one through. He's not quite sure. Look, we need to do that sort of thing with our theology. Whatever you think about God's greatness, I can assure you, God is greater than that. So, yes, we have an awesome God whose greatness is beyond our comprehension, but we don't have to get stuck there because God has chosen to make himself known to us, to reveal himself. And I think that God in the Bible has given us two vantage points from which to see his greatness in a very general sense. I think the, the Old Testament is giving us one vantage point and the New Testament gives us another one. The Old Testament is like one of these big camera lenses that lets us zoom out and take in the expanse of God's greatness. In the Old Testament, we see God, the creator of everything that exists. We see God who is sovereign over empires and rulers and history itself. We see God working powerful miracles. 
In contrast, the New Testament is like the camera lens that lets us zoom in and see the greatness of God with even greater clarity and focus. Because God has chosen to reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus. Think that one through. God chose to give us an up-close, in-person revelation of himself. This is what we see in the New Testament. Look at some of these New Testament verses. Colossians 1.19 says this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Hebrews 1.3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus said this in John 14.9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And the Apostle John, speaking about Jesus, this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, in the incarnation, God obviously chose to set limits for himself. We know that time and space can't contain the full expression of who God is. Yet in Jesus, we have a perfectly genuine and sufficient expression of the nature of God. This is what we believe. Jesus was fully human and fully God. So we look to Jesus, his character, his teaching, his way of modeling how life is to be lived, and what we see is an up-close view of the greatness of our God. Anglican minister and Bible translator J.B. Phillips said this, the biggest widest and highest ideas of God that mind can conceive arrange themselves without dissonance or incongruity around the character Jesus revealed. So we can look to Christ and see the greatness of God. Now what I'd like to do next is to allow us to listen to a part of a famous sermon. The words will also be on the screen. This is a sermon that was preached by Pastor S.M. Lockridge. And what this is going to be is our theological stretching exercise for the morning. Okay, so you're about to go into class and we're gonna start with some stretching. And I'm gonna let you stretch for about five minutes here but I think this is really worth it. And here's your assignment. I want you to just try to allow the breadth of his description of the greatness of Jesus really sink in to your minds and into your hearts this morning. So let's listen carefully. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. 
He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoulder supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah. That's my king. My king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he He's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yes. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. 
I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The glory is all his. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. So let me ask this question as we close. Why does having a clear vision of God matter? Well, I've thought about it, and, and this is what I've come to believe. If we could, in a moment of spiritual clarity, see what is really true with, with all falsehood stripped away, if God would grant us in a moment a clear glimpse of His greatness and His splendor, I think that we would be changed forever. I think that that kind of a clear vision of God's greatness would reset your priorities. I think it would relieve your fears. I think it would revive your faith, and I think it would reignite in you a passion for God's greatness. And this is not mere speculation on my part. This is exactly what happened in the life of Moses and Isaiah and other first century disciples who saw the risen Lord and countless other saints throughout history, their lives were radically changed by a clear vision of God's greatness, and in turn, God used their lives to change the world around them. Now please hear me. This is the purpose of the Christian life. You and I are not to bumble along through life like spiritually blind men and women who don't know the greatness of our God. Your calling as a child of God is to take everything that God has given you, everything that is a part of your stewardship, most importantly yourself,
And then to arrange all of that so that you bring maximum honor to the greatness of God. You and I can't do anything to increase God's greatness. But the result of your life can magnify and celebrate and announce God's greatness to those around you. That is what you and I have been created for. Don't settle for anything less. Increase your vision of the greatness of our God. So where do you begin? How, how do you personalize this truth? I've put together some additional questions and some scriptures for you to reflect on in order to really think this through in the context of your own life. If you get an email from the church on Fridays, you'll have a link there to go to not just an outline for the sermon, but this study guide. If you don't, you can always just go to the church website, sentcov.org. On the homepage, there's a tab for media, and under that, a page called Audio Podcast. I guess that's the part that you just kind of have to remember. Go down that page, and you'll find all of our sermon outlines and sermon study guides that the preaching team has put together for you. So I want to encourage you, use that maybe in your own devotional time, or if you're in a small group, consider doing that with your life group. Just think of it as a set of stretching exercises for your soul, okay? That's, that's what I'm trying to give you. But one response to God's greatness that is always appropriate is to worship our great God. So I'm going to pray, and then after that, we're going to join together in celebrating the greatness of our God in song. So please pray with me. Lord, I confess and I ask forgiveness for so often settling for what amounts to a false God. My faith, my worship, ways I'm thinking of you that just aren't fitting for who you truly are. I believe you recognize our frailty as human beings, our tendency to just slip into the familiar, but would you cause us, Lord, to not settle for that? Would you open our eyes afresh, our hearts, to experience more of you? As much as, as we could meaningfully engage with, this is our prayer this morning. We want to see you and know you in all of your greatness. And all God's people said, Amen. Let us worship together.